At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from the trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Well, good morning, Woodside White Lake family. I bring my greetings from the Plymouth campus and our love for you and uh, just our appreciation. And, and it's my honor and joy to be with you this morning and open God's Word uh, with you. I was, I was telling uh, our church congregation um, that I was going to be gone this Sunday, and they asked where I was going, and I said up north. And um, I don't know if you know, but Pl White Lake isn't that far up north from Plymouth, but it's up north to us. And uh, so I'm very, very grateful to be here. We love so much, and I love so much your pastor, Pastor Rob and his family. He has been a, a deep and dear friend of mine. We've almost been here the same amount of time, uh, just a little, I think it was about six month gap that I uh, um, am in front of him uh, by, but uh, the Lord just bringing us to Woodside together. Uh, he's a dear friend and ally and brother in the word. And so you have a great pastor, and I hope that you encourage him and bless him and love him. Rob, I love you. Thank you for having me today. Well, let me ask you to take your Bible and open it up to Psalm 32, the passage that Pastor Rob read for you this morning. I would love to, uh, to open that with you today. And I want to ask you the question, maybe this has happened to you, have you ever ignored doing something routine and then later regretted it? Have you ever had that moment where you thought, you know what, there's something routine and necessary I need to do, but I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to take care of that right now. And then a little bit later down the road, you realized, 
oh, I should have done that. But that was, it was just it was crazy of me. I, I don't know about you and your vehicles, but my cars have this really annoying light in them that comes on about every three to 5,000 miles, this little yellow beacon that just shines in my face as I'm driving down the road, and, and it tells me it's time to change the oil in my vehicle. Growing up, my dad, uh, he, he helped me think through ma- the maintenance of cars, and some of it stuck with me, and, and other things didn't so much, but he was adamant, if there's anything in the world I had to be religious about, if there was anything in, in the care of a vehicle that I had to be strict about, and religious, and just practice all the time, it was taking care of changing the oil in the car every 3,000 to 5,000, some of you might not go for the 5,000, but every three to 5,000 miles, I had to change the oil in my car. Or I, if I didn't, I would shorten the lifespan of that vehicle. But I got to thinking, I really think that that kind, of, that kind of idea, that changing the oil in your car, I think that's really a ploy. I think it's the greedy plot of big oil to get us to take our cars into the shop, to do some routine maintenance on it, and, and then for them to find some other things that are on the vehicle that aren't working so well. And before you know it, we're like handing over our entire paycheck every month to take care of these stupid cars. Like, what a, let, Let's just skip the routine oil change, right? Let's just, let's just go for, for tens of thousands of miles. You're laughing at me, and you should. I'm glad that you are. It, it is true that a routine oil change keeps the car in good shape. The viscosity of the combustion engine, it breaks down your engine so much that changing the oil helps keep your car running well. In fact, there's a ton of evidence out there that if you don't take care of your car regularly, you will be paying the price for it later. You'll pay the price to replace your vehicle before its life is over because you didn't change the oil. So all of you who are driving around with that yellow indicator light on right now that says it's time to change the oil, this week let's take care of that, okay? Let's just get that updated. Could there be maybe for us a similar habit to the routine oil change that we as Christians might ignore or neglect? Could there be a habit or a practice that that you and I are ignoring we're not participating in, and like an oil change that, that takes care of our car and keeps its life going, we, we diminish it, we ignore it. We might say things like, well, I don't want to practice this one. My sin's been forgiven, all of it, so what's the big deal? Why would I, why would I need to, to do that? Or, or we might say, you know what, to, to practice this habit that I'm going to talk about this morning, well, that's just dead religion. I mean, that's just stuff for, for priests and confessional booths, and, and we've walked away from that. We're in the light now. We're in the freedom of the gospel. Or maybe we fail to practice this spiritual discipline because we're arrogant. We're, we're just proud. We never say we're wrong. We never say we're sorry. I mean, that's weakness. We're not going to show it. Or maybe we pract- fail to practice this habit because we want a Christianity that's only happy and inspirational and positive. And, and to, to engage this spiritual habit is going to require us to own up to some really dark things, some really broken things in our life. Well, if you're wondering what the habit I'm speaking about this morning is, it's the, the spiritual practice of the confession of our sins. It's the confession of our sins. And let me just tell you this morning, just because there's been historic abuses and mistaken practices of the confession of our sins, the regular confession of our sin, it doesn't mean that we should abandon the habit or the practice altogether. The spiritual practice goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but it goes through Jesus Christ. 
His instruction for us teaches us how to pray and to live. Confession of sin is, in my estimation, a deeply Christian practice and one that each one of us must undertake as followers of Jesus regularly and faithfully. It is good for our very souls. So what is it? What is confession of sin? What does this look like? How do we practice this in our lives? Well, I would define confession this way. Confession is acknowledging and addressing our sins before God, seeking His mercy and grace to forgive and to heal us. Confession is acknowledging and addressing our sins before God, seeking His mercy and grace to forgive and to heal it. Verbally, it's naming our sin and declaring it and saying to God, we are broken, we are wrong, we are sorry, and God, unless you do something, we we have no hope, so would you heal us? Or to put it in the words of David in Psalm 32 here, it's when we uncover our sin in confession, God covers our sin in forgiveness. That's the truth I want you to hear this morning, that when we uncover our sin in confession... God in His grace and mercy covers our sin with His forgiveness. What does that look like? I want to show you from this psalm, Psalm 32, the power of confession this morning. And I want to make a case for us to incorporate this habit into our lives regularly. That there would be daily a moment for you to confess your sin before the Lord and experience His grace and kindness and love again and again. I want to show you this morning the power of confession because when we uncover our sin in confession, God covers our sin in His forgiveness. So let me point out three things, three powerful things that confession does. First of all, confession separates us from the oppression of covered sin. Confession separates us from the oppression of covered sin. Look with me here in this text in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is a psalm of David, a masculine of David. It is one of his songs that he has written. And it tells us, David begins to tell us that sin is a weight, right? You know this to be true. It haunts us. Sin buries us. It, it weighs us down. When you sin and when you, when you walk against the ways of God, you feel the weight of that in your mind and in your heart and in your soul, it's, it's dragging you down to the depths. It's oppressive, especially when you're very aware of your sin. You can't sleep at night. You're, you're awake to your failure and your rebellion. And, and, and the inclination of our heart is to cover our sin. It's to hide it. It's our, it's our predisposed, fallen, natural condition. We don't want anyone to see our sin. We don't want it to be exposed, and so we we hide it. We don't want to acknowledge that it's a soul-defiling, eternally damning, God-offending reality. And so we attempt to hide our sin. And yet we want freedom from the guilt and the shame of it, and so we try and cover it up. We, We try and, so to speak, dispose of the bodies so that no one knows our sin, so that we can appease the restlessness within our souls. This has been the story of of our human condition since our very first parents. Adam and Eve, you remember, what did they do after they had become awake to the reality of their sin? They ran and dove in the bushes. They begin to hide themselves. They they begin to cover themselves out. God comes and He comes into the garden. He says, where are you? Because they're hiding in in the bushes. They covered themselves out. 
And then when God gets in front of them and he begins to question them, what do they do? They shift blame to each other. Oh, it's not my problem. God, it's the woman you gave me. It's your fault, God. Or that, that serpent. They did everything but own up to their sin. Sin sinks us. It weighs us down. It's like a millstone around our hearts, taking us to the depths of the ocean. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve. The biblical storyline covers all of our hearts and lives. King David himself, and we don't have the context particularly for this psalm, unlike Psalm 51 where David reveals that that psalm was written in repentance of his sin with Bathsheba and killing her husband. But, but let's imagine for a moment that this psalm is one that's closely connected to that event. David has hidden his sin. He, he tried to dispose of Uriah's body, and cover up his adultery with Bathsheba. He, he tried to do everything he could to ignore it. And it wasn't until Nathan the prophet came and confronted him and exposed him that David opened his heart up and he repented. So I think this psalm is a, is a parallel to that. And David now speaks as one who is freed, one who has experienced forgiveness and grace. Look at what he says in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, David here uses the word blessed in the same way that Jesus uses the word blessed in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed is the one who is happy, the one who is filled with joy. It's the one who has a, a fruitful and flourishing life. It's the one whose heart is, is glad and, and exposed. Who is that happier, blessed person? Well, David said it's the one who has their transgression forgiven. Their, their sin is covered. You might say, wait, wait a second, Jeremy, that, that sounds like a contradiction or a paradox. David's saying the blessed one is the one whose sin is covered, and you're saying uncover your sin. How does that work? Well, I'm, I'm arguing for you to uncover your sin so that someone else can cover it, so that God himself can cover it. This is, this is where the psalm goes, verse 2. Again, blessed is the man, blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, here's the one who is active in covering that sin up. When we expose it and when we confess it, it's God. God is the one, the Lord who counts no iniquity. The Lord who takes away sin. God is the one who is active, and He is active in dealing with our sin. I find it interesting that this psalm, David uses three different Hebrew words to describe sin. Right there in verses 1 and 2, he describes sin as transgression, breaking the law, walking away from it. He secondly describes sin as sin, rebellious hearts, defiled against God. Thirdly, he uses the word iniquity, or crookedness might be the way you would define or translate that word. It's just a predisposed bent away from what is right and true. Notice here those three words in contrast to what God does. Look at the three actions of God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. God forgives the rebelliousness of our hearts. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. God in His grace, when we confess our sin, covers, and takes away, hides our sin. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. He doesn't count your sin against you. Here's the amazing reality of what David's saying with regard to confession. When we 
open up our lives, when we take our sin to God, when we acknowledge it before Him and uncover it, God forgives. God covers. God wipes the slate clean. God deals with our sin and heals us and frees us from the weight and the bondage of them. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of good news that I need. Maybe it's the kind of good news you need to hear this morning. Maybe your heart is anchored down with the weight of your sin and you wrestle with it and you know even right now it's churning in the back of your head and you're sitting there thinking, if anyone ever finds out, I'm done. If God knows, I'm out. Beloved, hear the good news. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. But we got to ask the question, well, how does that happen? How do, how do we get into that lane of forgiveness and grace and mercy? God forgives, God covers, but what do we must do? What, what should we do? Well, David instructs us more in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 shows us this. David tried to cover his sin. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David tells us here that trying to hide our sin before God, trying to cover our sin ourselves, it doesn't work. It depletes and eats away at our souls. Even speaking physiologically, David says, I was drained. It's like, I was like sinking in a great ocean. My, my bones wasted away. Have you ever had that just agonizing pit in, the, in your stomach when you've walked in sin? And you just know it's wrong. And, and, and the Holy Spirit won't let you up? You, you feel, as David talks about in verse 4, the, the heavy hand of the Father's discipline upon you? God's weight upon you? All of this because he kept silent. He, he tried to hide and cover up and ignore his sinful ways. And his heart wouldn't be free. He covered his sin. Is that you this morning? Are you trying to cover it? Is your life without joy and without hope and filled with groaning and despair because you're hiding and covering up and not confessing your sin and taking it to the Lord? Friends, do you carry secret sin that you refuse to own up on? Perhaps it's even the thing you're thinking about right now. I want you to know there's a remedy. I want you to know there's good news. God's grace and provision for you. But you've got to take your sin to him. You have to uncover that sin in confession. This is what verse 5 says. So I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. There's where, there's where it is, right? David says, okay, those three words for sin, transgression, iniquity, sin, they're all there. I acknowledge them. He said, I own up on them. I, I declared them before you. I didn't cover my iniquity. No more lying. No more playing games. No more pretending it doesn't exist. I'm just, I'm just going to uncover it and say, here it is, Lord. All of my garbage. All of my junk. There it is. I said. So he's saying within himself, this is his self-talk. I will confess. I will articulate to you, Lord, my transgressions and my sin. Now, I know that's a vulnerable moment for each of us. How will God treat us? What will he do with us if we, if we come clean on it? God, here's the rebellion of my heart. 
Here's my greed. Here's my pride. Here's my envy. Here's my lust. Here's my wicked ways, my anger, my abusiveness. Whatever it is, God, here it is. I'm sorry and I'm wrong. What does God do? When we uncover our sin in confession, God covers our sin in forgiveness. The end of verse 5. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's the blessing. I acknowledged. I didn't cover up. I confessed. And God forgave. God forgave. Brothers and sisters, there is good news for you here this morning to uncover your sin, to confess to Jesus and to declare to Him, Lord, here is the brokenness of my heart. It's the liberating power of confessing sin. We open up and we let the healing medicine of God's grace be applied to our hearts as we experience His forgiveness. The truth is expressed in the New Testament as well. The Apostle John in 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the, the application here should be very clear. Confess your sins to the Lord. Take your brokenness. You don't need a pastor or a priest. We're not going to set out booths here in the back lobby after the service this morning for you to go in and confess to, although it is a helpful practice to confess your sin to one another, as James says, that you may be healed. There is a, a power in sharing with one another to express the words of the gospel. But you can go with your heart right now to the Lord and to confess your wrong and, and seek His forgiveness. One practice that I find helpful in this is every day praying a prayer of confession. I have just a written prayer of confession that I take before the Lord, and it helps me identify specific sin, the things I have done or have not done, the words I have said in love and the words I have not said in love. I specifically name my sin and approach God for His grace. So the first powerful thing is that sin, confessing sin, frees us from the oppression of that covered sin. But, but there's another power here at work for us in confession, in that confession secures us in the protection of God. One of our apprehensions against confession is that we feel exposed or naked, right? That was the reality for Adam and Eve in the garden. They, they ate the fruit, and they realized they had sinned, and they realized they were naked. They were exposed. What do they do now? And, and that's how we feel. What if, what if I open up to God? What if I confess my sin to Him and God sees my brokenness, He sees how wicked I am, and He doesn't like that. He doesn't like me. Or we ask ourselves the questions, what if I tell my brother or sister my sin and ask them to help me and pray for me, and all of a sudden they shun me and they begin to gossip about me? I don't want my reputation to be ruined. You don't either. So confession really gets us in a raw place. It gets in a, in a very vulnerable place. David, in verse 6, appeals for us to confess our sin before the Lord and not to be slow about it. He says, this shouldn't be something you, you deliberate on for a long time before you get to the end of the game. You should, you should confess now. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly. Anybody godly here this morning? Anyone desire godliness today? All right, here. This is the instruction for us who desire to be godly. I want that. Everyone who is godly, offer prayer, he says, to God at the time when He may be found. Well, let's think about this here. When may God be found? Right now. 
Right now, today, here he is. He is ready to be found. We can offer our prayer to him. And David, David pictures us in a moment of great tribulation. He says, surely in the rush of great waters. Reminds us of the flood, the great flood of Noah's day. Surely in the great rush of waters, those prayers, they shall not reach him. David envisions the flood, this universal judgment by God on the human race because of rampant wickedness and sin. And he says, once the flood event began, there was, there was no opportunity for repentance and confession and restoration. Judgment was falling. And David tells us this to remind us there is another day of judgment coming. And when that day arrives, there is no more opportunity for confession and repentance. So today... While you have this day, take your sin to the Lord. Augustine said, no one must assume that when the end comes suddenly, as it did in Noah's day, an opportunity will remain for the confession by which we may draw near to God. So David speaks with urgency. He says, today, now, confess your sin. And we would ask again, why? And David takes us to the very nature of God. Verse 7, you, God, are a hiding place for me. God covers us. He protects us. You preserve me from trouble. You sh surround me with shouts of deliverance. David just exalts the grace of God. God is a refuge, a hiding place for sinners in need. God is a protector from the troubles and weight of our sin. God is an encourager declaring victory for us and over us. David points us to this and he says, confess your sin to God today. Expose yourself because of who God is, a refuge, a protector. You won't be disappointed. I like to think of confession like I think of a sanctuary. The idea of a sanctuary is more than just being a sacred place. A sanctuary is also a safe place. And think about it when people are in trouble or, or they're in literature and movies, you know, there's those moments where, where people have to run for safety. And where do they run? They run to a sanctuary of some sort. So with the alien horde coming in down upon planet earth, ready to take over, there are certain places they can't go. And so everybody goes and hides in those certain bunkers and places where the aliens can't get to them. It's a sanctuary. Or if there's a mysterious illness spreading all over the globe and the planet turning everyone into zombies and, and yet there's a specific region that's immune somehow or another to that, to that plague, everybody goes and hides in that region. It's a sanctuary there. Church buildings and literature and films are often sanctuary for the heroes to, to find protection in trouble. Confession is our sanctuary. It brings us into the sanctuary of God, the protector, the refuge, the one who preserves our souls from trouble, who surrounds us with his protective shout of deliverance and rescue. So again, how do we, how do we offer this prayer? How do we confess as David teaches us to do today, right now, confess our sin? He says this, let everyone who is godly offer prayer. Confession is prayer. It should be the part of the structure of our daily, weekly, regular prayers. Jesus taught us this as well. Remember the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that He gave us to help us learn to pray? He had, he had a line in there. It wasn't a throwaway line for Him. It was, it was important for us. It says this in Luke 4, 11, verse 4. We pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
Jesus teaches us and affirms to us the importance of confession in our daily, regular habits of prayer. I like to use the structure of ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication in my prayer time. But I think it's important for us every day when we pray to include prayers of confession. It's like getting the oil changed in our vehicle. It's just acknowledging today. It's examining our hearts and saying, okay, Lord, today I know I have walked away from your ways. I have walked in sin. And so today here, Lord, I'm confessing this sin. I'm acknowledging it to you. Perhaps every night before you lay down your head on on the pillow uh, before you go to sleep, just examine your life and your day. Ask yourself, how have I lived today? How have I spoken today? How have I loved today? And ask the Lord to reveal to you where you have flown from his ways and confess your sin to him. Offer prayer at a time when he may be found, which is today and now. Confession frees us from the oppression of covered sin. Confession's power secures us in the protection of God. And thirdly, confession surrounds us in the steadfast love of God. I love how this psalm concludes as David has turned and experienced the forgiveness of God, and as he has confessed his sin, he now looks at us. He says, I've got, I've got something to teach you. I've got something to instruct you about. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Okay, if you want a Bible lesson from David, King David, here it is. Pay attention. Like, this is David speaking through the influence of the Holy Spirit to us. He says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He is looking at us this morning. God is speaking to us saying, I have instruction for you. And the instruction comes with a warning. This is verse 9. I love this verse. I love this verse because it's my heart, right? (laughs) Don't be like the horse or the mule without understanding. Ooh. You worked with horses or mules? They are stubborn beasts. They're just the worst they go wherever they want. They do whatever they want. They make a mess of everything. Yeah, David says, don't be like that. Don't be like the horse or the mule. It has to be curbed with bit and bridle. Something's put into its mouth to direct it around. Friends, don't be that stubborn. That God has to just put his heavy hand on you and direct you around and lead you and keep you close. Don't be that stubborn. And I know our sin causes us and our desires are for our own way to be held out, but but here's God's grace to help you. So if you hear me preaching this morning about confession, please don't be a know-it-all, a stubborn mule, especially when it comes to this, especially when it comes to being taught how to experience God's grace. We want God's grace for you. We want you to know his full and free forgiveness and love. So if your heart is seizing up today and saying, no, I won't confess, be humbled. There's the warning, now the lesson in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Hmm. How true is that? Ultimately, at the end of the day, the sorrows of the wicked are a multitude. They are many. But hear the promise. But the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trust in the Lord. The steadfast love of God surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. There's a, there's a fork in the road opportunity for us here. 
David lays out wisdom. You can be like a stubborn mule, choose your own way, and you will find the sorrows of the wicked. No repentance, no confession. You'll just lean into those sorrows. But if you're humble, if you're contrite, if you, if you come to God with open hands and open hearts and say, Lord, here's, here's my brokenness and my sin, you will find the steadfast love of God. Hebrew word there is hesed. Surrounds you. God's covenant love, his unrelenting, never ending, never giving up, faithful, enduring love surrounds you. He won't let you go. If you ignore, if you ignore confession, your sins will mount up, sorrow will mount up. But if you trust the Lord, He'll take care of your sin, He'll forgive you, He'll Pour out his love to you. And the question is here for us. Do you trust the Lord enough to confess your sin? That's the question that David asked in verse 10. Steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Do you believe that God is competent, faithfully, to forgive, to take care of, and to remove the record of your sin against you? Well, let me point to where he has demonstrated that love on the cross of Jesus Christ. God sent his son Jesus to be the one who came for us to forgive, to cover, and to remove the record of our sin against us. Jesus came and lived the perfect sinless life in active obedience to his Father's will for each of us so that we might be forgiven and receive his grace. Jesus came and experienced the sorrows and afflictions of the wicked. On our behalf, he didn't deserve them himself, but he came and he died on the cross in our place. He secured our forgiveness through his blood. Our sin is atoned for. It is covered through the shedding of his blood on the cross. He Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us when he was nailed to that tree. God demonstrates his love for you and me in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was raised to life again on the third day so that all who trust in him would be blessed and eternally happy and at home with God forever. The steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts in Him. So all we must do is come to the Lord with our sin and rebellion and say, God, here it is, and cry out for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, which He gave us on the cross to be forgiven. And the love of God is ours forever, fully, and completely. Friends, do you trust Him? Do you trust him to take your sin to him and let him apply his healing balm of mercy and the blood of Christ on you to cancel the debt of your sin and to make you whole? Do you trust him? The steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts him. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.